Please turn with me in the Gospel of Luke to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 33. Once you have that, you may want to also turn to Acts chapter 1. which can be found on page 1,690 of the Bibles in the benches. Here we mark today the transition from our preaching series on the Gospel of Luke to volume 2, really, of what Luke has written for us under inspiration of the Holy Spirit we call the book of Acts, as we'll begin uh, in more earnest next week, our study of the book of Acts, but uh, we complete Luke chapter 24 uh, this morning, introduce Acts a little bit. This is God's holy word. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, uh, praising God. In the first three verses of the book of Acts. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So far the reading of God's holy word.
Beloved congregation, we have come to the end of this book that Luke wrote in order to assure us that the Christian faith is true. Luke had done his research and he has laid out very systematically who Jesus was, the things that Jesus said, the things that he did, all things that demonstrated Jesus' truth and his power and his authority. But this was a long book. And our attention spans are short. And so I don't want us to forget, especially as we transition into the book of Acts, I don't want us to forget the magnitude of what we have heard from Luke. I mean, first of all, you remember that Jesus was in perfect alignment with the Old Testament religion that expected Him. He is the Messiah that came from the line of David. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament religion which had been expecting Him for years and years and years. Even in the narrative of His birth, it showed that Jesus had unmatched faithfulness to the Old Testament law. He showed that He, at a young age even, was declared to be the prophet like unto Moses as He went into the temple with the scribes and the scholars and confounded them with His wisdom as He opened the Scriptures and explained it to them and asked them questions that they couldn't even answer. He was the one who understood the mind of God because He, of course, was God Himself coming into the world. Remember that Jesus was presented by Luke to us as the one who is uniquely good. He is the one who rewrote the history of the world. He's the one who came into the, came into the desert, led by the Father, led by the Holy Spirit into that desert, to recast the story of Adam in the Garden of Eden. He faced the temptations that Adam faced, but this time, the man prevailed. He was obedient, uniquely good. A different category from all of the men, women, and children who had come before. He came into a world where the law of Israel was upon him. And he obeyed that law perfectly, unlike the nation of Israel, which had disobeyed that law and despised the prophets for the many years before Jesus came on the scene. And after Jesus had obeyed, He came into the synagogue. And you remember that triumphant announcement that He made. And not just to those that heard it at the time, but He was speaking and pronouncing to us what? That the Spirit of the Lord is on Him, and He has been anointed to preach good news to the poor. He has been sent to proclaim freedom from the prisoners, for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to release the oppressed. And we said, what was He telling us? He said that I came into the world. I came into the world to tell you who don't have everything that you need that it will be provided for you. I will overturn the curse of the fallen world where people are left without what they need. That's the good news he was preaching. He came also to tell you what? I am giving you freedom. Freedom for the prisoners. And why are people in prison? People are in prison either for the consequences of their own sins or they are suffering the consequences of somebody else's sins, the injustice done against them. And Jesus comes to say to people who are suffering for their own sins, I give you freedom from guilt and shame. And if you're suffering at the hands of others, I give you freedom and deliverance. I bring justice to you. He said, I, I, I bring to you, I pronounce to you recovery of sight for the blind covering all of our physical infirmities that we suffer 
Under the fall of our first father Adam and the common curse in this world, something as small as blindness, Jesus says, I will heal your blindness, you will see again. Something as grave as cancer and death, He says, I will deliver you from cancer and death, I will bring you out of the grave. I will release the oppressed, you who suffer then and now under the affliction of being alienated or just always feeling like things aren't right or don't fit together and all the discouragements that we face in this life. Difficult providences, dissatisfaction. He says, I will release you from that. You will be fully satisfied. You will feel yourself and find your place before me and my creation. You see, He came to undo the curse of the fallen world. He walked, as it were, into a dark mansion and He started to turn the lights on. Didn't He? He started to turn the lights on. Not only did He announce that He was going to do this, but He demonstrated His power to accomplish that which He had promised us. He exercised a series of miracles to assure us, really, that the glorification which He had come to bring, that He was actually reversing the curse, could actually happen. He came to that Man, early on in the synagogue, was possessed by a demon. And he demonstrated his power over the supernatural evil realm by casting out those demons. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. Even the unseen things of this life, Jesus says, I have the power over them to turn them for your good, to deliver you from their evil. He leaves the synagogue and Simon's mother-in-law is sick. And Jesus bends over her and rebukes the femur. He speaks to her physical illness as if it has to give an account to him and he drives it out. And that's to demonstrate that any illness that you might have, he has the power to relieve you from. He tells Simon on the lake shore, a lake that has no fish. They've been fishing all day. He tells them, let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And it shows that Jesus, as the Creator, has the power over everything that He's made. He can make fish in a lake where there are no fish. And therefore, He can exercise that glorious creative power and brilliance and intelligence on your behalf to bring you peace where there is no peace. He's in one of the towns and the man comes along who is covered in leprosy. This is all just right at the beginning of this gospel. This man is covered with leprosy. And he falls down and begs the Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reaches out his hand and touches the man and says, I am willing, be cleansed. And the leprosy leaves him. Leprosy leaves him. The kind of healing that wasn't even accomplished through ordinary medical means in that day. And on and on and on. The paralytic comes to Jesus. He tells him, take up your mat and go home. And immediately he stands up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and walked home praising God. And everyone was amazed, you remember, and gave praise to God. Not like people are amazed at the charlatans of today, right, on the television. We've talked about this. Those people who give the outward appearance of having some healing by whooping up people's emotions, getting their adrenaline to flow so that their back doesn't hurt, so they can walk to the stage. And then none of these so-called healings ever lasting with any sort of 
in any sort of verifiable sense. That's not what was happening. What was happening was Jesus was actually healing people. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and they said, we have seen remarkable things today. And we expected, after Jesus had unleashed this series of miracles, turning the lights on in the dark world and speaking peace to all of us, that He would be embraced. But that's not what happened. Jesus had to draw a very clear line, didn't He, as He faced opposition. A very clear line between those who would receive the blessings of the glorification and those who would not. Because that old expression that everything works out alright for everyone in the end is just not true. I mean, it's only true the only people who will receive the blessings that Jesus pronounced and that He earned by His obedience are what? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained To Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus interrupted and answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The only people, Jesus says, who will receive the glorification, the blessings of which I have, the blessings which I have earned and I have pronounced and I have proclaimed, are the ones who know that they're sinful and sick and that they need it. Ones who will confess that they are unrighteous. The ones who will confess with Peter that Jesus is the Christ of God. The righteous one who comes to reconcile sinful humanity to himself. All of the glorious blessings that Jesus announced and that he demonstrated had the power to do and gave humanity a foretaste of will not reach those who do not acknowledge their sinfulness. Many would stumble at that message. Many would stumble at that message, didn't they? In fact, they continually turned up the heat against Jesus to stop proclaiming this law that cut people to the heart and actually took glory away from any man, woman and child and gave it only to Christ and His grace. Because many wanted glory for themselves. Many people, and we've talked about this, haven't we? Many religious people Many people who look like you and me and who sat under the ministry of Jesus and who sat under the good and righteous ministry of the Old Testament law all the time they grew up, many of them had the basic idea that the reason why God would accept them is because they were good people. Or at least better than other people. Or at least tried harder and tried to live a more godly life than others did. And when you tell somebody like that that they're utterly sinful and that they need a Savior... And that even in their all right living according to the law in the areas in which they live, when you tell somebody like that, that they're utterly wicked and desperate and need grace, they don't respond very kindly, do they? They don't respond kindly. In fact, they turned up the heat against Jesus and eventually put Him to death. Now, of course... Jesus explains it, not immediately to the disciples along the way, but He explains it in increasing clarity as the Gospel went along, that that had to happen. I mean, it had to happen that Jesus was rejected, that He came into the world and that hard hearts would look at Him and resist Him and see Him as a threat to their power and control so that they would put Him to death. 
so that He would be paying on the cross the guilt and the shame that we owe to God. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And He must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. This is magnificent! It's been a long book, but don't miss the proclamation that's been made to us. We're desperate sinners who have been lost in our first father Adam, blind in our minds and hearts to the truth, and Jesus, out of His grace, comes into the world to live an obedient life, to demonstrate His power, to assure His elect people, even in their weakness, that these things are true, and that we've been reconciled to God, and that He'll deliver us from all of our sins and struggles and weaknesses and consequences and death, and suffering and oppression and on and on and on because of his life and his death for all those who will just confess that they are worthless as it pertains to deserving these blessings and last time we saw that Jesus didn't stay in the grave but he rose from the dead He rose from the dead. It leads us back into our text. In Luke 24, they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and they said, It is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. I mean, in many ways, the resurrection is the climax of all of His miracles. I mean, it was such... As the text says, it caused such joy and amazement in the minds of the disciples... Because they were worried that after all that Jesus had said and done, that when He had died, that put an end to His ability to bring in its fullness the glorification that He had already given a taste of. I mean, you remember, it was fine so far as Jesus was walking around with the disciples. Because they had seen Him say all of His gracious promises. They had seen Him work all of His power toward uh, their favor. But if He's gone, Jesus can't do that anymore if He's lying in the grave. And so this is why it's so fantastic to the disciples and to us that Jesus came out of the grave. It's validating everything that Jesus said before. I mean, it's a validation that the Father has accepted the sacrifice of Christ for our sins. It's completely done away with. We may say that because He came out of the grave. If our debt was still outstanding, Jesus would still be dead. But He's not in the grave. He's brought up for our justification. It validates the permanency of all of His ministry to us. It is the guarantee of our resurrection in the future that He will will indeed come and unleash His power in its fullness to glorify us. Now this risen Jesus, there's some interesting things about Him. We talked extensively last time about how Luke recorded the resurrection of Christ. We noted that he talked a lot about particular details probably because he knew that Theophilus and of course anybody who would come after Theophilus would be skeptical about such a radical event. You've never seen anybody actually be risen from the dead, have you? I mean, some of the disciples were able to witness a couple of resurrections that Jesus worked in their lifetime but none of us have ever seen anybody die and come to life and so we get a lot of detail. 
in chapter uh, 24. A lot of witnesses are recorded. A lot of their own doubts and struggles are recorded to show that this is actually true. That Theophilus and those who he knew at the time could go back and test and interview the witnesses to verify that Luke wasn't just living some fantasy. And that continues again a little bit today. I mean, this resurrection body, first of all, Jesus is is strange. I mean, if you admit that, right? What does it mean in verse 36 when it says that they were still talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Well, that's a strange verse. Jesus himself stood among them and to see the result, they were startled and frightened. Well, we saw that when he was walking on the road, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. There it was very clear that Jesus in his resurrected body was doing something supernaturally. It's always interesting to hear people debate about what's going on. What does it mean that he himself stood in their midst? Does that actually mean that he wasn't there and at one point in time he just showed up? Just poof! The language doesn't necessitate that, but it seems very likely that that's what happened. That's why they get startled and frightened as opposed to if he just knocked on the door and came in. Could have happened that way though, just because of the strangeness of whole somebody being dead and then coming to life. They're thinking that they saw a ghost. My point is, Luke isn't very clear because nobody's really clear about Jesus, of course, being Jesus. That's obvious. He retained his properties. It's his body. It's the same body that went to the cross and went into the grave. But whether or not the glorified body takes on different, I don't know, properties and has different abilities, I don't know if it's that or if Jesus is just exercising his divinity because after all, he's the God-man and he can do whatever he wants with the creation including his glorified body which he also created and making it appear and disappear at different places. Hard to tell. But the point is, Luke is concerned to acknowledge the doubts. That's why he records the story of the people that come into contact with him. Verse 39, Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. This is my flesh and my bones. And then, they still can't hardly believe it because the implications of it actually being true are so wonderful that they are skeptical. He asked them for something to eat and so they are able to watch him eat a piece of fish. Now that's meaning that's his body that died and now is risen from the dead. That's him. Takes it and eats it in their presence. All of this he's developing, right? He says, you are my witnesses of these things. All of these developing this group of people that will be able to testify to the veracity of his resurrection. Of course, along with that resurrection is how Jesus interprets it. That that guarantees all of Christ's blessings to you. And I want to announce that to you again this morning. That Jesus looks at you in all of your sinfulness and weakness and suffering and struggling and He accepts you by His grace and by His power. There is no doubt 
that if you are lacking something now, He will sustain you in this life until He gives it to you in glory. If you are suffering under the consequences of your own sins or you are suffering at the hands of other people's sins, there is no doubt that He will sustain you in this life and that He will release you fully and finally and glorify you in the last day. If you are sick or blind or aging, are tired and are suffering, whatever it is, there is no doubt that He will raise you at the last day and you will feel good again. Or maybe feel better than you've ever felt. And if you're oppressed by difficulties in this life and you are alienated, you will be received. You will be received and loved and fulfilled perfectly. Now we'll close very quickly by saying this. The book of Acts is about the church responding to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ the way that He wants the church to do. You have been given something extraordinary, something magnificent, the glorious grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you remember He talked about the delay between His death and resurrection and the glorification coming in its fullness. Now the disciples who heard it at the time, it's very unlikely that they would have understood the delay as long as it actually has played out to be. But it's a fact that it is. And we are still today awaiting the glorification. And you as a Christian, having received the pronouncement of the blessings of Christ and looking forward to the glorification, you as a Christian church are given Jesus' instructions to the apostles. And some of them you'll hear directly. Other ones you will Received by watching what the apostles did responding to Jesus' instruction over 40 days that He gave them before He ascended. You have been given this project. You have been given this church to do what Jesus wants with it until He returns. To see the development, the outworking of Jesus' ministry, not only in Jerusalem, but extending out to the nations of the earth, following His command. And that's what you can expect in Acts. You can expect to see Christ continue to do the works that He started to do, but this time brought out into the world as a pattern for the ministry of His church until the end. And you pray this week that God will give us grace to be sensitive to Jesus' instruction to the apostles to celebrate the continuation of His work in our world and in the early church that we'll read about. And to that, all God's people said, Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gracious promises that have been expounded unto us through the gospel of Luke. We thank you for the surety that these things happened. Lord, we would pray that you would assure us when we struggle with doubts that you are for us and that these things are true. Help us, Lord, as we anticipate uh, studying the record of 
the early church and the expansion of this gospel to the nations. Help us to be sensitive to what Christ wants us to do with this gospel. How He wants us to worship. How we are to understand ourselves as churches. How we are to live daily in light of the gospel. This is our prayer. That we may show forth our gratitude for this unspeakable, unspeakably wonderful, a gospel blessing which we have received. Keep us humble and keep us right and true. For the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Our song is number 458. We think of uh, Jesus' promises to us who live in the common cursed world. So I invite you to think of the ways in which you are downcast, disconsolate, because Jesus meets us in the Lord's Supper to uh, lift up our hearts. Let's stand and sing these three stanzas, 458.